You guys can go ahead and be seated. Uh, a while ago, I, we brought our kids to Legoland here in Florida. It was my first trip to Legoland with the kids. And so I, I played with Legos when I was young. And so I enjoyed that. And our kids had some, some grandma money. You know what I mean? Like grandma money. Like not mom, dad money. Like they had grandma money burning holes in their pockets. And at, at the time, they were really into Spider-Man stuff. And they, they saw this Lego set. And there's a picture of it we can put up on the screen. Um, is this Spider-Man, like, yeah, like it was a serious Lego set. And it, it required not just like one kid to have grandma money, but all four of them. And the four of them pulled their, their cash together and purchased this kit. And they were so pumped to play with like this entire like Spider-Man city of a set that they had. They were so excited until they opened the box because they saw the picture, but what they got was this. Put a few of these out here. And this, though required to build the entire set, is not nearly as exciting as the fully built set. You've heard the saying, some assembly required. Thousand, I mean like, it wasn't just a little fold book, it was like a hardback book of how to assemble this thing. You can see it's still in pieces right now. But it's like everything was there and, and even a young child can follow the very simple steps and clip everything together and make it all the way through building the set. But you've got to have some patience. You have to have some desire to get to the end goal through each little step that you have. Some of you guys can relate with this. And men, this is where you don't say amen in the service, okay? Because you understand like first year of marriage, you're like, I, the vision that I had in my head, the, the thing that I ordered was the hot, passionate, fun, exciting marriage where everything was easy. And then what I have in front of me is a person who leaves wet towels on the floor. You're like, this isn't matching up with the vision of what I had. Like my vision was the honeymoon all the time, every time for the rest of our life. And here we are arguing about what, which way the toilet paper is supposed to face on the roll, right? Like this isn't, this is, vision isn't here. It's not matching up. Some of you young parents are like, these kids are not as good as the kids I envisioned. I thought when I told them to do something, they would listen. Like the vision isn't matching up. I feel like if I was in the place of Jesus, I would be looking at the church being like, I have given them all the tools. I have given them all the pieces and all of the simple steps that they can take to build the church into this vision that I have for them to be in the community. And make sure you know I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about a people, a body of Christ, the hands and the feet of Christ, the mouth of Christ in the city. And Jesus has to be looking and saying, church, I have equipped you with every good thing that you need to accomplish your work. 
I feel like we often look at our relationships, our marriage, our kids, the churches that we've been a part of, and we're like, this doesn't look like the vision of what I had it to be. And today through the message, I want to give you a couple pieces to help build up the church, to help build you up. But I, I want you to clearly hear from me. These pieces are simple. They take time. A child could apply them to their life and it will build something big and beautiful if you continue to apply them. But there's no get rich quick. There's no shortcut. There's no easy road. And today we're, we're in the, the 30th week of this series called The Story, where we're looking at the story of Scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Next week is Revelation. It's the very last week. This is the end of the Apostle Paul's ministry. The Apostle Paul, last week we went over some of his life, but to catch you up to where he is right now, now he's a leader in the church. He, he's an apostolic leader. He plants churches and he goes to them and he corrects them. He sets them on the right path. He leaves them for 10 minutes, comes back and they're screwing everything up and he kicks people out of the church and he corrects the church and he gets it back to where it needs to be. He, his leadership gets questioned many times, but he stays after what he needs to do. And the first, we're gonna look at five different verses today as we try to summarize some of his ministry and what he tries to instill into the church. But the first thing that I wanna encourage you on is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The, the Apostle Paul was a great example of this concept that the church has to overcome fear. In Acts chapter 20, this is the Apostle Paul responding to the church. And, and he says, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. So this is what was going on here. From the very beginning of the Apostle Paul's ministry, as we talked about last week, he was told at the very beginning of his conversion, the Lord said, I'm going to show Saul, Paul, how much he has to suffer for my namesake. The very beginning, he knew that his life would endure difficulty. And now it's been prophesied over him and he knows it and he feels it within himself that when he returns to Jerusalem, that he's going to face arrest, that he, he's going to end up being martyred for the faith and he knows it. And the church around him is telling him and encouraging him to say, take a different road, go to a different city, plant another church somewhere else, go somewhere else, do somewhere, something else, or else you are going to perish. And, and their emotional heartache over the, the path that he knows he has to go down, it's breaking his heart, but he knows this is where he has to go. And he makes that just straightforward confession. If I have to die for the Lord Jesus, then I'm willing to do it. And this is the extreme, this is the extreme case. But the extreme case should answer the question in a straightforward manner for you of, is Jesus enough to warrant suffering in any of these other areas? If for righteousness's sake, I suffer in my career, it's worth it. It's worth honoring Christ even to the death. If my pride has to suffer as I restore a relationship or a marriage, if my ego and pride has to suffer to honor Christ in that relationship, he is worthy of that suffering. 
Do not be afraid of the cost that you will have to pay in living for God, because in the end, it is worth it. It is worth it. A thousand times over, it is worth it. The concept of do not fear or do not be afraid throughout scripture, there's, there's many writings regarding what scripture teaches about do not be afraid. One of them says that there's 365 instances where it says, do not be afraid in scripture. One for every day. They say, I are, they're kind of stretching some of the terminology. There's at least 70 straightforward, do not be afraid in scripture. But I think 70 is pretty clear enough for you that God's intention is that you do not let fear restrain you. It's amazing how often fear will keep you from trying to reach for what you know you need in your life. And it's so strange because fear, it tells you, you're not gonna get it, so you may as well not try. But if you know that you need forgiveness in that area, if you know you need to extend forgiveness, if you know that you need to begin living a healthier life, if you know you need to get out of that addiction, but you're afraid of failure, and you don't even ever try to attain what God has called you to do, you're you're suffering defeat either way. Like think, if God has set a dream on your heart, if there is a desire in you to make a change in your life right now, but you have been hesitant because of fear, why wouldn't you wanna just try and go for it? And especially if you felt God's push on your back about it, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you just go after that dream? Why wouldn't you go after that goal? To at least, because you know your heavenly father would rather have you stand before him one day and and him say, I saw you try, child. I saw you step out. I saw you go to the rehab. I saw you try to restart the conversation to extend forgiveness. I saw you try. And the other person wasn't willing and that's not on you because as far as it depends upon you, you should live at peace with all people is what scripture tells us. And you have to do the part that God has asked you to do. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of failure. Do not be afraid of allowing your ego to suffer. Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, is a famous theologian and pastor and preacher. And he he gave a sermon on the, his whole sermon was just on the concept of do not fear. And and he addressed it like this. And I appreciated the illustration that he used. He, He said, do not fear is scattered throughout scripture like lilies across the field. When do not fear is first planted in your life, you really can't see it. But when do not fear begins to grow out of your heart and your mind, the beauty and the color stands out from everything else around it. And even as I teach on the concept of do not fear as part of this message, some of you will grab a hold and say, I need to get over fear in my life but you'll still feel afraid tomorrow and you need to see it like a seed that is planted that will sprout in time. And there are more than enough instances in scripture for you to study daily and remind yourself that God has said, fear should not have control of me. And as the apostle Paul wrote to the early church as they experienced persecution and suffering, and as he himself went through persecution and suffering, He not only taught, but he lived an example where he said, look, 
Fear has no dominion over Christ's calling on your life. Jesus defeated sin and the grave, and he has called you to a life. He has called you to an everlasting glory that other people will look at your life and they will say, living like that won't work. Living like that won't make sense because they're afraid because they they can't see the heavenly peace. And this is what I'm trying to say here is I need you to see the heavenly peace to all of your life. Like see, see the truth that right now, this might look crazy to people, but when you're standing in God's eternal glory and you look down at the way that people are living on earth right now, you would say, it does not make sense how they're living. Listen to me, the ones that have preceded us into heaven's gates, the ones who, who have gone before, who would look down from, from the presence of God and look at our life, they would say, why are you so adverse to risk? Why did you do so little for the kingdom of God? Why did you pray so little? Why didn't you step out of the boat? Because they can see it clearly. And we still see it through earthly eyes. And we're afraid. And I think that I'm learning and I've learned from some others that the older you get, the less detached you get to these earthly things because you begin to see how fragile they are and how quickly they pass away. And things that we're afraid of losing, the older we get, I think that we we understand, okay, those things come and they go. So I should not let things drive fear in my life and keep me from honoring God. I think relationships, we, we begin to understand as things change, that we, we have a time to pour love and affection. We have a time to share testimony. We have a time to let the love of God flow through us into other people. And we often delay because we're afraid and then we find that we missed an opportunity that we cannot get back. Don't let fear create regrets in your life, but seize these moments that God gives us at any cost. The apostle Paul said, I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even die for the sake of the Lord. Like for you to know things about the apostle Paul, he was all in. Whatever the cost, whatever the loss, he considers all things rubbish that he would know Christ. And what he attempted to instill in the church was not to let fear slow down their faith. And so don't be afraid. Number two, don't be selfish. Uh, Ephesians chapter five is to me, one of the most meaningful and powerful chapters of scripture. Uh, it, it, It dives into the husband and wife relationship in a way that will really mess up your life. And I've taught on this, I've taught on Ephesians 5 before where, where it goes through the roles of the husband and the women, but I always try to lean into verse 21 from Ephesians chapter 5 because almost everybody, and especially the men, we miss verse 21 for some reason. And it's critically important. It's the foundation that the rest of the passages are built upon that talk about sub, of the wife submitting to the husband and the, wife, and the husband loving the wife. Like this is the foundation. This is the preceding verse before all of it. And it's all built upon 
verse 21, which we'll put up on the screen as I read it, which is very simply says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So men, you are also called to submit your needs to your wife. Men, as the passage in Ephesians 5 goes on, you are called to love your wife the way that Christ loved the church. And so the, the, the second encouragement that I, I wanna teach on through this is do not be selfish. Because putting someone else's needs above your own, and, and this, is, this is the connection that it makes, and this is, this is why it's so tremendously important for the church to get this, for your marriages to have this interwoven throughout it. Submit to one another's out of reverence for each other, no. Submit to one another out of what they deserve from you, no. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what is it that empowers you to submit your needs in servanthood to the person that you chose to marry? It's your reverence to God. So when you begin to withhold part of yourself, part of your heart, part of your life, part of your cell phone, part of your money, when you begin to withhold part of yourself from your spouse, you're not showing the proper reverence to Christ. And in Genesis, when it talks about the husband leaving his family and weaving his life together with his wife, two becoming one is what it says. True intimacy is two becoming one, which means nothing is held separate. And look, you can do things the way that you want to do things, but if the way that you do things are because, well, I wanna make sure that I get mine, I just don't think I can line that up with scripture. And I think there's a greater experience of intimacy on the other side of you getting over yourself. Serving your spouse, listen to me, serving your spouse should be one of the greatest joys of your life. And it is so critical that single people, you pay attention to what scripture teaches when it says not to be unequally yoked to someone else, to not marry someone who believes differently because for you to live out Ephesians 5 with someone who does not see the authority that is written in Ephesians 5, who does not feel the personal heart calling to outserve their spouse, you're gonna feel trampled on. And that's why it's important to be equally yoked. That's why it's important to have your life built on the foundation of Christ because I'm gonna tell you, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing when your spouse is like, I know what you need and I got you. I love you so much. It's not about what I want, it's about what you want. And it's, it's this, 
natural velocity that happens, that it's like, if you're both serving each other and trying to outserve each other, things get better and better. But if you're just fighting for your own privilege, for your own desires, for your own wants, then it's you against them and who's gonna win, who's gonna get their way, whose ego is gonna prevail. And it gets worse and worse. And you've seen it time after time after time of marriages that end in divorce because one person just wasn't getting what they want. And I'm not here to assign blame, but I am just here to say the picture of a scriptural marriage is to look at that person and say, I'm gonna serve you all of my life. Because my love for Jesus is displayed through how I treat you. My reverence for Christ is displayed for how I submit my needs to you and fulfill yours. And that is a beautiful relationship. That, that, that is full intimacy. That is, man, I, and you know, these are particulars to me, but that's why I'm like, my wife, she should know where I am at all time because we're fully intimate. She can know everything. My wife should know where my money goes because we're fully intimate. We know everything about each other. And maybe, maybe you've drawn some lines and maybe you have your, your reasons in, and your justifications. And uh, I don't know all of your story, but I just wanna challenge you church that beyond what you think is reasonable, Allow your life with your spouse to be fully integrated into each other, to submit to one another, to serve one another out of reverence for Christ. How, how could I ever love them again because they did X? Well, because you love Christ, love them anyway. How could I ever love them? They don't, because you love Christ, forgive them anyway. How could I ever serve them? They don't, they don't, don't ever do, the, the wet towels are still on the floor, Paul. Serve them anyway. Your call to serve them is not connected to what they do. It's connected to what Christ has done. And that is a high calling for a Christian. And that's why I see Ephesians 5 as one of my favorite, path, favorite chapters of scripture because of this difficult and high calling. The Apostle Paul echoes these kinds of sentiment in lots of different places. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 is another one where it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. When scripture and when the apostle Paul instructs the church that one of the pieces to the marriage that you want, one of the pieces to the church being the kind of church that you want is the concept of do not be selfish. And you understand how in someone else's marriage, if they were less selfish, their marriage would be better. But for some reason, your pride and your ego says, I just need to worry about me and then that will somehow make this better. I wanna tell you, serve the other person, serve the other person out of reverence for Christ. The, thir the third encouragement, the third piece I wanna to give to you church is do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Romans chapter one, verse 16, the apostle Paul was writing and he said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. I understand that because of things that other churches and other Christians have done to your friends, to your family, to your neighbor, that there can be a bashfulness that rises up, that you want to be tender and kind and compassionate to non-believers and neighbors. And I am that way. 
Like, I, I, I get that. I don't want to intentionally step on the toes of people who are unchurched. I get that. But if there's a point where you feel like I need to cover up the light that Christ has put into my life, I want to shake you a little bit. Because I want to make sure that you see clearly the light of Christ in your life is what people need. And you do not help them by hiding the gospel in your life. The gospel is the power unto salvation. The message of the gospel. I'll pick on myself um, a little bit. I'm the right person to pick on. Uh, when we were getting the church started, and it, it was just a few of us, and it was us meeting in the living room, uh, there's, we, we invited almost every connection we could think of to you know, come and be part of the interest meetings when we, we were getting people together at our house. And there was one person that I honestly didn't think to invite for whatever reason. I don't know. I, I knew that their family had like a Catholic background. It was a girl who babysat for us and lived across the street. And she was in the room with us and we're talking about it. And she literally was like, would it be okay if I came? Like pastoral guilt like crept over me. I'm like, how did I miss? Like, and she was 16 and she comes from a Catholic, like are her parents gonna be upset? Her and her parents came. Her and her parents were, have been heavily involved. They, they moved to Fort Myers. You guys know the Lemura family if you've been here for a while. Nicole Lemura was part of our church until they moved over to the other side of Fort Myers. And it wasn't that I was hiding it, but it's like sometimes you just think, okay, their relationship to me is just that of a neighbor or that of a coworker, and, and they, they don't want that side of my life. Listen to me. Every connection that God has given you, he has entrusted to you. You are a steward of it. And I hope you let the light of Christ shine into every area of your life and every relationship. I, I've, I, after, that, that was one of the pieces. There was another story with a neighbor that really flip this in my brain, but I made a determination that every single person who moves into my street is going to get invited to Golfside Church. Like, I don't want anyone to have to ask me for an invitation again. I don't want anyone to feel like I've invited other people, but not them. The gospel, it is the power unto salvation, and the gospel moves through people like you. And if you've had a hesitancy to share with other people, I want to remind yourself, don't be ashamed. It's the power. Second, uh, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, this way, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker does not need to be ashamed and, and who correctly handles the word of truth. If you're ashamed of God before people, I'm going to tell you, you're going to feel ashamed when you stand before God one day. I don't want you to feel any shame when you stand before God one day. I want you to walk before him and I want you to hear the reverberation of his voice through the kingdom of God when he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. But scripture is clear that if we allow the opinions and the thoughts of other people to cause fear in us that restrains us from doing what we're called to do, if we're afraid before them, then we should be afraid when we stand before him. So church, embolden yourself. The apostle Paul said, even unto death, I'm going to honor Christ. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to close this thing up. You know, your, your vision for your life 
It may look like a tower. It may look exciting. It may look like healings. It may look like mass conversions. It may look like family members who are idiots becoming brilliant because they finally listen to you. Like you, you might have your own vision for the way things will work out, but this is simply what it is. Or maybe you've been trying and it just hasn't been working out. Maybe you're feeling tired because the vision hasn't come true quickly. God doesn't give you the whole vision all at once, but he gives it to you in pieces. And he expects that you take those pieces, take that step. Marriage is falling apart, don't know how to fix it, it's too big of a problem. Find one way to serve them this week. I've been afraid to talk about God with my coworker. I know that I should, I know that they're going through it right now. Ask them how you can pray for them. I know that I need to bring that addiction out from the dark and into the lightness, into the light. I know that those pills should not have a place in my life, but they have been retaining a power over me. Tell a trusted friend. It's not gonna all come together this week, but you can put that next piece together. And when the church begins just doing the little, little, yeses to God, the little steps of faith. That's when we get to see God build something huge. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for the one that that has been talking to you and listening to you during this message that knows the step that they need to take. And I pray that you would give them courage and boldness to take that step without fear. I pray that you would give them the the wisdom to bring someone into the circle and tell them what they need to do. I pray that husbands would be repentant before their wives as they have not been serving them, but serving themselves, and that marriages would be rebuilt because we understand that our marriage has to be empowered because of our reverence to you, Jesus. And Jesus, as we love you, help us to love them. As we love you, help us to love our neighbor. And we thank you that you give us everything that we need be successful. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us as we sing?